you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Every person has a personality, that combination of characteristics or qualities that form an individual's character. A person's personality often becomes pretty apparent from early childhood, doesn't it? Didn't take long for me and my wife to see the uniqueness of each one of our children. The famous modern psychologist Sigmund Freud actually believed that the essence of the personality was established by age five. If that is true, the early years of our life are pretty important, aren't they? There's always been a great debate about how malleable the personality is. I would guess that if you told most people something like, you need to change your personality, you would get a response like, you're asking me to change me? I can't change my personality. That's the way God made me. Most of us see our personality as pretty much determined at some time in our early development. The shy, introverted child doesn't typically develop an outgoing personality later on in life or vice versa. People with anxious or angry personalities can tend to deal with those personality traits all of their lives. Now, on the other hand, I took the Myers-Briggs personality inventory at least a dozen times during my college and young adult years, and my personality type changed at least a half a dozen times. And I was one of those introverts who did become more extroverted in college and beyond. So personality is an interesting thing. If you tell someone, I like you, but I hate your personality, you'll probably be slapped down very quickly. We take our personalities very personal. After all, they are us. Seeking personality change, then, is a monumental task, one which most people would say is too tough or not even required. What happens, then, when we observe what is defined as a personality disorder? Are we just to leave it alone, thinking that's just the way it is? Or is there real hope to be found for those with personality disorders? Should we not seek biblical change and the needed help for this cluster of problems too? Hopefully by now you know where I stand. As ingrained as personality disorders can be, there are biblical ways to understand them and practical wisdom to overcome them. To get to the heart of the matter, we'll need to understand what it means to die to self, ridding ourselves of the old man, clinging to newness of life in Christ. We are persons made in the image of God who can change much of the sinful habits of our human personalities, even the disordered ones. According to the psychiatric experts, there are currently 10 named personality disorders. Here's the list. Paranoid personality disorder, Schizoid Personality Disorder, Schizotypal Personality Disorder, Antisocial Personality Disorder, Borderline Personality Disorder, Histrionic Personality Disorder, 
narcissistic personality disorder, avoidant personality disorder, dependent personality disorder, and obsessive-compulsive personality disorder. Now, to make this long list easier to understand, they are often grouped into three basic categories. There are what is known as the suspicious disorders. That would be the paranoid, schizoid, schizotypal, and antisocial. Then there's the emotional and impulsive types of disorders, the borderline, histrionic, and narcissistic. And then finally, there's the anxious groups of personality disorders, avoidant, dependent, and obsessive-compulsive. We'll define some of the more typical personality disorders later on. So let's move on to what are considered the causes of these challenging personality problems. First on the list is the environment a person grew up in. According to one author, you may be more likely to develop a personality disorder if you've experienced any of these following things. First, an unstable or chaotic family life, such as living with a parent who's an alcoholic or one who struggles to manage a mental health problem. Or second, little or no support from a parent, especially when a traumatic event occurred early in life. Third, bad experiences in early school life, in a peer group, or in the wider community. So those are some of the environmental problems that could create personality disorders. Then, relatedly, significant personal early trauma may be to blame. Losing a parent or a sibling. Neglect. Significant verbal, physical, or sexual abuse. Being involved in some sort of major accident or incident. Of course, not all early trauma results in the development of personality disorders, depending on how a child or teen deals with it. And then finally, there are those who believe that these disorders may be genetic. It seems obvious that we inherit certain elements of our personalities from our parents. But can we really explain personality disorders as totally passed down from parent to child? Now, in my mind, the first two causes seem more plausible, that of environment and early trauma although we should acknowledge the fact that we do often develop similar personality patterns as our parents or even grandparents. Now, before we talk through some basic biblical and practical principles to address personality disorders, let's consider the common psychiatric wisdom about how to treat them. A recent article in the Journal of the American Psychological Association, the APA, sums it up with this title. Treatment for the untreatable. Personality disorders have been traditionally thought of as nearly impossible to solve by the mental health establishment. Listen to some of the reasoning found in this article. While people with personality disorders can possess very different personality disturbances, they have at least one thing in common. Chances are that their mental illness will not remit without professional intervention. People with personality disorders exhibit chronic, pervasive problems getting along with people in all kinds of different contexts, and this includes therapists. So do you get the conundrum here? Personality disorders need professional treatment, yet people with personality disorders don't get along with people, even with professionals. What that means is that most people with 
a personality disorder either don't seek counseling in the first place or they quickly drop out of counseling. You can't help a person solve a problem if he or she doesn't see it or want help in the first place, right? So if personality disorders are really untreatable, how can we deal with these biblically? Well, here are some principles that will help us. First, personality disorders raise the question, is this person a Christian? Nick has always seen himself as the most important person in whatever group he's in. He is preoccupied with intelligence and success, constantly scheming to achieve greatness and power. Nick is often discouraged that no one really understands him because he thinks in such unique ways. He longs for love, respect, and admiration from just about everyone. At the same time, he ends up using others rather than loving them, lacking any real empathy for the needs or problems of others. If you had to describe Nick in one word, it would be arrogant. Now, is Nick displaying any of the characteristics of Christ? It doesn't seem like it, does it? Yet he is actually a longtime member of your church and claims to be a Christian. So maybe Nick is just an immature baby Christian. Even though he's been a Christian most of his life, he just hasn't grown too much. Possibly. But isn't it a stretch to think that someone could be a Christian for a significant amount of time, yet still display this sort of personality? Well, we'll address that in our next principle. What I want to emphasize here is the greater possibility that Nick is unconverted. He's an unregenerate man still enslaved to his sins. This is the better starting point when dealing with a personality disorder. The personality is disordered because the person is disordered. He or she is still a slave to sin without real heart change. Each one of the personality disorders I listed earlier are stubborn, hardened ways of relating to God, self, and other people that have little in common with godliness or Christian virtue. So the simple answer to solving these 10 disorders is salvation. Nick needs Jesus. A person needs his heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh. If you have a friend or family member with some sort of hardened personality problem, then you should be on your knees regularly praying for the grace of God to be revealed to them so that Jesus transforms their hearts. This also means that basic evangelism is your first effort. You are to share Christ and point that person to his or her need for Jesus. Practically speaking, how do you do that with a guy like Nick, especially if he professes to be a Christian? Won't telling him he's not a Christian just make him angry? Probably. The Holy Spirit will certainly have to soften the ground before the seed of the Word of God can be implanted in his soul. So we are back to prayer again. But on the human level, you may have to wait until Nick is vulnerable, suffering and struggling so much in heart and soul that he's willing to listen. When he's just full of himself, operating out of pure pride and arrogance, he will not be teachable or correctable. Are we comfortable with the fact that there are problems in this life that will never be solved without the conversion from non-Christian to Christian? In one sense, there's no real permanent change or solution to a problem outside of Christ. But what I mean is that there are problems that are unable to budge at all without life transformation. No real change, period. 
when an entire personality is disordered, like in the case of Nick, which, by the way, has a diagnostic label. Have you guessed it already? Nick has narcissistic personality disorder. So when a person is a true narcissist, defined by the central feature of total self-centeredness and arrogance, how could we not believe that he is not a Christian? Here's our second principle, the old self versus the new self. While I think it's best to recognize that a person with a personality disorder may not be a Christian, we should not go so far to say that a Christian cannot have a personality disorder. Or maybe we have a person who has a long-standing personality disorder, has become a Christian, but is still struggling. That's where this next principle comes into play, recognizing the difference between the old self and the new self. The Apostle Paul states it this way in Ephesians 4, to 24. In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And then also we read in Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And then one more time in Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Oliver has become a Christian, yet he has a long-standing antisocial personality disorder. Here's a bit of his history. Oliver has always had a hard time holding down a job due to his high level of irritability and aggression most days. When confronted about his treatment of others, he lacks remorse and virtually never apologizes. Oliver has just gone through a nasty divorce from his third wife who cites that he emotionally and verbally abused her. He also has a history of deep deceitfulness and withholding the truth even though it is very difficult to catch him in an outright lie. Again, he takes little to no responsibility for his behavior. As a child and teenager, his mother says that Oliver was stone cold to the rights or needs of other people. So now that Oliver has become a Christian, he will need to be shown and fully acknowledged that his personality is his old self that has to be put away. He cannot be a Christian and also think that this is just how he is. In other words, that he can't change. With the Holy Spirit's help, he is responsible to put off the old self, his old disordered personality, and put on the new self. Now, this has many components to it, doesn't it? For a person with antisocial personality disorder, deception, sinful anger, aggression, a lack of empathy, all of that must be put off. At the core is the need to learn to actually love people, to have a heart of compassion, to be others-focused. The desire to control other people must be put away, and the willingness to be vulnerable to others must be put on. Again, what must be recognized is that any long-standing way of relating to people does not just change immediately 
with a new relationship with God. That's why Paul exhorts even believers to actively and continually put off the old self and its deceitful ways. Personality disorders do not vanish overnight, but will require hard work in conjunction with the softening work of the sanctification process. Helping a person with a personality disorder will often mean a long walk, an ongoing relationship that will often be difficult, since he or she will often try to push you away. But always remember that every true believer will be sanctified in this life, in their personality. Here's a third principle. Personality disorders require a look into the past. As I mentioned at the outset, there is a great consensus in the mental health world that personality disorders are often rooted in difficult childhood environments or traumatic events that happen to children or teens. Consider Pam. Pam has a heightened fear of being abandoned or rejected by other people, keeping her from becoming close to pretty much anyone. On a daily basis, she vacillates from being angry to being anxious to being deeply depressed. Pam changes jobs frequently, which she claims is necessary in order for her to find her true self. When asked about how she feels about herself, she uses words like unworthy, empty, ignored, mistreated, and misunderstood. Pam regularly considers suicide. On her worst days, she can even indulge in paranoid thinking, losing touch with reality. The most consistent thing about Pam is her pattern of highly unstable relationships, which swing from overly intense obsession to intense dislike and even hatred. Pam has been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. It is characterized by pervasive instability in moods, interpersonal relationships, and behavior. It was given this interesting name because it was originally thought to be at the border of psychosis and more common neuroses. According to some researchers, upwards of 70% of individuals diagnosed borderline report having been sexually abused as children or teens. That statistic alone tells us that it's essential to help a person understand and respond to his or her past. Now, we'll cover the issue of childhood abuse in another podcast. What's important here is to recognize people with personality disorders may be avoiding their past unwilling to deal with it, or unable to look at it because it's so horrific. Now, we always have to take great care when we attempt to blame what happened in the past for how I am today. But what we certainly can assert as Christians and as biblical counselors is that significant, sinful, even evil events that occur in the lives of our children or youth will shape them, and unfortunately mainly in detrimental ways. We should never communicate to people that they just have to get over the past or that it shouldn't have any impact on them. By his grace, the Lord certainly is able to deliver us from our past and restore what Satan and his human vessels have done to ourselves and our identities. But again, this is often a process. A person must reconcile the past in the context of a sovereign God who is over all things as well as a loving God who knows our weaknesses and can bind up our wounds. 
The impact the past has on personality must inform how a person goes forward in the future. To put it more clearly, we want people to be able to move forward, putting away what was in the past and walk forward in faith. This is the only way true change will occur. And then here's a fourth principle when we're thinking about personality disorders. It's all about relationship training. Let's talk about Lucy. She's extremely sensitive to criticism and any signs of disapproval. She claims to have no close friends at all and demonstrates a total reluctance to become involved with people in general. Lucy has always avoided activities and even jobs that involve contact with people. She isn't just shy, she is painfully shy, with a great fear of saying or doing something wrong around people. Lucy's parents tell you that she has always felt socially inept, inferior, and unappealing to other people, even though she is really very beautiful and has a sweet disposition. In the end, though, Lucy is unwilling to take risks or try new things because she may become embarrassed, which is worse than death. Lucy is an example of someone with avoidant personality disorder. The label is pretty descriptive, as a central feature is the desire to avoid almost all human contact. This is more than just situational social anxiety that many people struggle with. It ends up characterizing a person's entire life. So clearly, the avoidant personality needs to learn to engage in relationships. Of course, this is true for the rest of the types of personality disorders as well. Remember that they all have trouble with people of one kind or another. Therefore, the major focus should be on learning how to love others in relationship to a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. What keeps Lucy from close relationships? Why is her fear of embarrassment so great that she is willing to sacrifice the intimacy need that is built into her DNA? Again, we will have to travel to the past to see how this is developed. Was her home environment one of neglect or even abuse? Or was she just allowed and enabled to be reclusive? Or was there something worse going on that put her into a shell? Whatever the case, Lucy, believing she is a Christian, will need to learn new ways to relate to people, to overcome her fear of people, to be willing to be rejected or even hurt. There's no such thing as a relationship without a level of risk. This highlights the fact that a personality disorder is a place of comfort for most people, an idol of comfort, if you will. It is often just safer to find ways to keep people at arm's length to refuse to enter into any painful experience. The problem is that God calls us into relationships, even though they are messy. We really don't have a choice to avoid them all. In many ways, there's nothing sadder than a person in this world who chooses to walk alone, chooses to be an orphan. The reality is there are so many people who end up alone who don't want to be, longing for relationships. So personality disorders that keep us from Christ-like interactions with other people keep us from a central part of who we are. And fifth, it's all about maturity. Diane has always been described as a clingy person. This started in her teenage years when she developed deep fears of being separated from her parents. 
Since then, she has difficulty making everyday decisions without an excessive amount of advice and reassurance from others. She even needs others to assume responsibility for most major areas of her life. Diane rarely disagrees with people because she doesn't want their disapproval. She would describe herself as lacking self-confidence. Even though she lives alone now, she always is afraid and thinks of herself as fairly helpless. She would love to be married, mainly so a man could take care of her. The bottom line is that Diane is preoccupied with fears of having to always and forever take care of herself. Her diagnosis? Dependent personality disorder. Now, this particular personality disorder highlights the fact that all of the personality disorders demonstrate a remarkable amount of immaturity. You just want to tell these people sometimes to grow up. Now, hopefully, we're not saying that in an unsympathetic and unmerciful way. But the truth is that maturity is a mark of the Christian, and immaturity is just foolishness. Diane wants to be taken care of as if she's still a child. The thought of independence is just too overwhelming for her. Now, no one says maturity is easy or something that just happens. But it is a sin habit of most of us to want to remain childish, selfish, prideful, a taker rather than a giver, a user instead of a lover. Seeking relationships for what I can get out of them is a recipe for disaster. The mature person seeks to serve and love others. Dependency is not mature and must be overcome. Let's finish this group of challenging problems by looking from the viewpoint of how to deal with a person with a personality disorder in your own life. Just two principles here. First, discern whether or not you can maintain this relationship. Caroline is the most self-centered person you've ever met. She feels totally uncomfortable in any social situation where she cannot be the center of attention. From her many friends, Caroline needs constant reassurance and approval. Among the many things that drive you crazy about Caroline is that she is typically inappropriately seductive in her appearance and behavior. And she's now in her 30s. Her rapidly shifting emotional states make her appear shallow, even though you know she isn't. She is given to excessive dramatics with exaggerated displays of emotion. Finally, Caroline has the tendency to believe that relationships are more intimate than they actually are. I know this may just sound like your average 15-year-old girl. Well, that was a very sexist thing to say, wasn't it? But this is occurring in a 30-something, not a teenager, which makes it a personality disorder, what is referred to as a histrionic personality disorder. Now, if Caroline is your friend or if your friend has one of the other personality disorders, it's important to ask yourself if you can continue in this relationship. As a Christian, how do you make that decision? Shouldn't you always stay committed to all relationships? Well, here are some parameters to think about. Does your friend listen to you at times and actually want your help? Does your friend control your ability to have other friendships? Do you spend way too much time thinking about the plight of your friend? Is your life characterized by anger or anxiety because of your friend? 
Does your friend really need you or is just using you? Hopefully you get the idea. The answers to these and other questions will form the basis for whether or not you can or should remain in this relationship. You need to use the wisdom of God in this. Well, that leads us to the second principle. Be committed to this relationship long term. Now, of course, this only applies if you have decided that the Lord wants you to stay in this relationship. Remember, you have to see that personality disorders are long-term issues that do not usually have short-term fixes. Consider your friend Harry. He suspects without sufficient basis that others are constantly out to get him. He constantly doubts that his friends are loyal and trustworthy, including you. It can even be very difficult for Harry to confide in you because he fears you may use his personal information against him. Harry is not forgiving at all, bearing grudges seemingly forever. Even benign remarks or jokes seem life-threatening to him. The bottom line is that his life is characterized by constant suspicion of other people. Now, if the mental health community would diagnose him, Harry would be diagnosed with paranoid personality disorder. He lives his life in distrust of others. So when you commit to being a friend of Harry, does it seem that it would be easy? Not in the least. Hopefully you understand what I mean by a long-term commitment. As a Christian, there'll probably be times where God puts people with personality disorders in your life. Maybe many times. No, you aren't called to rescue everyone. What you are called to is to be salt and light in this world, to be an example of Christ, to even train people how to have godly relationships in the relationship with you. In the end, to be a friend to the friendless. Now, just to be clear, there are times to abandon relationships that have become so toxic and unfruitful. Yet more times than not, we as Christians will be called to endure and sacrifice with very difficult people. Or you may be that difficult person who needs a long-suffering friend as well. So there's my take on the challenging cluster of problems known as personality disorders. It should go without saying that it is better to catch these issues early on rather than later in life, just like any other problem. Thankfully, Freud was wrong that our personalities are pretty much unchangeable after the age of five. Our God of grace, with the power of his spirit and his word, give us great opportunity to make important personality changes throughout our lives. That doesn't mean it's easy or that elements of our personality aren't rather enduring. But God does call us to be people that constantly grow and change in Christ. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.